This podcast has bad words in it. You have been warned. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Patrick, what's going on, man? It's really good to meet you. Not much. Hey, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm a big fan. I've listened to every uh, podcast episode so far that you've had. Nice. I love the uh, the format that you have. It's just very relaxed, very casual, and just a couple of dudes just chatting, man. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's that was my goal going into this podcast was just I just I like I like podcasts where people have just really organic conversations and and mm-hmm. see where things go and that so that was kind of you know, I've done the whole podcast before we were kind of talking off air, you know, where like when we, when Jay and I did the career author, I mean, I, that was a fun podcast to do, but there was a lot of prep that went into it. And it was, it felt very sure. structured like this. I just want to get on and talk to people about creativity and parenthood and relationships and all that stuff and just see where things go. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, being a podcaster, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show and it's like, I was super excited to be on here because I don't have to do any work. I just have to talk. I mean, you're, you're doing all the heavy lifting, dude. So totally cool. I'm sure you had to do a lot of heavy lifting when you had Jay on your show. (laughs) He's so hard to talk to. (laughs) Yes. He just wouldn't say anything. He just, he just closed up. I don't know. Oh, well, that's a surprise. That dude always has way (laughs) too much to say. (laughs) (laughs) I have to take swipes at him every chance I get. So absolutely. He's an easy target, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's one of my best friends and we've been business partners for like five or six years now. So, you know, I, I, I got to take my swipes at him whenever I can. So. Absolutely. Now you also, I think uh, we didn't talk about this off air, but I, you, you also, you know, Honoré as well. Yes. Okay. Honoré is a good friend. Um, she's in Tennessee as well. Yeah. You're yeah, in Tennessee. We, she she's lives, in Tennessee. So, yeah. She lives right outside of Nashville. She's actually a good, like almost an hour from me, but we, uh, I, I went out to her house, I guess it was like a month and a half ago now. And she's been, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to get together again. And, uh, actually I'll probably text her today and try to plan something to see her again. So, yeah. Well, this is how awesome she is. The second book that I wrote and published was, I was going through a nasty divorce and I, I was just very, very new to the whole indie author thing. You know, I started listening to you know the creative pen with joanna pen it was a fat you know it still is a fabulous podcast absolutely and johnny sean and dave's podcast and uh brian cohen's back when he was with jim kukrell mm-hmm. and i still listen every uh, wednesday to that one and i really didn't know what i was doing i write this book and just out of the blue you know i what i did was i went on amazon and i looked at you know like bestsellers and in those genres and honore had a bunch of books it was you know the successful single mom the successful single mom begins to work out again the success yeah you know, she had a whole series of them and i bought them and they were great and there were no successful single dad stuff you know it was very very limited in um i wish i would have done my market research a little bit more before i wrote the book <laughs> dudes really don't buy those books you know, women do yeah. more women bought my book than men did. And really? it was for men. Absolutely. Wow. That is that, that have you gotten any insight as to or do you have any theories as to why you think that's the case? The, um, I think part of it was women kind of wanted the inside track. It's like, okay, what are guys thinking? That makes that sense. are going through a divorce. I, I think, you know, if I'm a strategist, I want to know what the enemy quote unquote is up to. So part of it was that, and I think more women read books than men. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, and yeah, women, I think more women read than men. And also like, you know, I think women are probably smarter than men too a lot of the time. In, in a lot of ways, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, I'm, I, I look and see, okay, you know, Honoré's got all these books out about this. I, I wonder if she would read mine or leave a review. So 
she did not know me from anybody. And I just did a blind email and I did it with a bunch of people and got turned down by everyone except her. So she wrote a really nice review and we chatted. Then I met her in person the first time at the 20 bucks to 50 K in Vegas, the conference there. And she was so nice and so helpful. I mean, just a sweetheart. And she's been a guest on my podcast. Nice. Yeah. I know she, uh, she really has, has wanted to write thrillers and stuff. And uh, I, I don't, I don't think she's doing that right now, but she's a, but yeah, she is just a, I love her to death. She's such mm-hmm. a, she's just really genuine and she's yes. very giving. Like her, her thing yep. is always, what can I do to help you? And she never asks for anything. No, you know? I mean, she just, she, she genuinely wants to help. And, uh, and, and I, yeah, I, I love on her. <laughs> yeah. She's a fabulous person. And I think if you look at people who are successful and I would judge her as successful, yeah. you know, the more they're, that they're giving like decent human beings kind of karma comes around to them and, you know, rewards that. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to look at life. You know, I was reading Danny Trejo's biography. Then he oh, I've, I've, it. I've thought about reading that. Oh, it's outstanding. Oh yeah, my I, God. I can imagine his story is, is crazy. <laughs> oh, 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 he's been through some stuff, man. Yeah. He was in San Quentin Folsom. I mean, and you know, and now he's, you know, who doesn't know Danny Trejo, you know, yeah, he's been he's been killed more on screen than any other actor. <laughs> more than Sean Bean, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean, he's been blown up. Sean Bean, Mich- he always dies and all the stuff he's in. Yeah, he's he was the king of the B movies. You know, he had a yeah. he had a he was a he had bit parts in a lot of stuff. But yeah, he he is one tough son of a bitch. Oh my god, you know he had liver cancer and he was still doing movies. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, just, really? Oh yeah, he he didn't pu- he didn't make it public. Huh. He was in excruciating pain, and he's just bebopping around doing his thing. That's crazy. I have to, I have to read yeah. that. Like he's, he's a, he's like you said. Everyone, whether you know his name or not, like if you see him, you're like, oh, that guy. I know that dude. Oh from, yeah, from whatever you know. Absolutely. Like he's been in so many movies. So that's but that's awesome. one of the, one of the over one of the overriding themes in that book is you know giving, and he you know he's convinced. He said anything that that has happened has been good to me is because. I've been willing to give to other people and you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Nice. Nice. I, uh, by the way, I, I, I meant to comment before, but I like your sweatshirt. So <laughs> <laughs> my Guinness sweatshirt. <laughs> your Guinness, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Guinness was like one of the first beers I really got into. And I actually, my, my, my dog, he, we had to put him down and, 20 oh, the I'm summer sorry. 2020, but his name was, yeah. he was a German shepherd named Guinness. Aww, um, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, I so and I when I pretty I'm only a stout drinker, so I don't mm. really drink Guinness a whole lot anymore. But, um, but but I, I love stouts, so I definitely noticed your sweater. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Irish, you know, it kind of yeah, comes I with the territory, that, yeah. you know. Mom and dad are both from Ireland, and I remember I was in like seventh grade and I had my first Guinness in Ireland. We were over <laughs> nice. there. Mom and dad were going over to look for jobs. They were going to move back, but it was still a third world country, so not not so great america's a whole lot better so we uh we stayed in chicago nice yeah that's i definitely i definitely want to go over there at some point and uh and 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 you know have a real guinness in, in oh, ireland but <laughs> oh it's outstanding it's so good over there oh my lord i was well, it's different there right it's pretty different in 19 oh yeah yeah i was there in 19 and you know it's a long flight and they're usually night flights i think mm. we took off like at six of the, six at night then with the time change and everything else, you know, it's like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning when you get in. And we were staying in Belfast. And we flew into Dublin. So I think that was like a four or five hour um, bus ride oh, wow. to uh, Belfast. And the first thing I did when we got to the hotel was they had a really nice bar. And I'm like, <laughs> I looked at my wife. And I'm like, yeah, guess what I'm doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how could you not? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's awesome. Well, man, let's, uh, so let's get, like I said, um, I was telling you before, I don't think I said on here, but you know, you're the first person I've talked to that I, like everyone else, I kind of, I, I was very intentional. I think I even told you in the email when we first got together, like I really wanted to, so this is the first podcast I've done without Jay. I, I really wanted to talk to a lot of people I knew to kind of get my feet wet and stuff. Sure. And, but you're the first person I've had on that I <laughs> I've never talked to so <laughs> but, well um, actually that's not true i met you 
at uh, Brian Cohen's like, what was it called? It was like an author summit or whatever in Chicago. Oh, we his did. first one. We sure did, didn't we? Yeah, that. Yeah, me, yeah. We ran that. I ran that with Brian. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was you and Jay, and I felt really bad because I didn't have camouflage shorts. I just didn't fit <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I knew you looked familiar. I was like, so, so yeah. So I apologize for saying what that's I okay. Said. That's okay. But, but yeah. And when you mentioned you were in Chicago a second ago, I was, or the, yeah, I'm get that's where you're, where you're from. Yeah, I'm in Wisconsin now. But oh, okay, but I uh, gotcha. The conference was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. I was like, uh, I was like, oh, I wonder if he came to the summit and I didn't. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah, so you there came to are. the first one. OK, cool. yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was fun. Yeah. Do we do me and Jay did that with Brian with Jim. So, uh, yep. yeah. So I ought to I ought to get those guys on here at some point, actually. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, but, um, but anyway, so uh, so I don't know, like, tell me, you know, I, I know you have a background as a police officer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe talk a little bit, bit about that and what got like what got you into writing. Okay. Um I was born in Chicago on the south side, moved to Wisconsin with the family when I was in high school. So that was a bit of a culture shock. I went from the south side of Chicago, then we moved to a suburb that was on the border of Chicago's Niles, and then I wound up in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Uh, they didn't even have a McDonald's there, and I'm a teenager, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, where did my parents send me to? This sucks, you know. It just, I hated every second of it. And obviously, you learn to adapt. That's life. And I went to college in Whitewater, and I interned with the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department. And I thought to myself, this is like the best job ever. I worked in the jail for about a month. Then they put me out on the street, and Milwaukee's a very, very active, busy city. You know, it's a city of about 600,000. Last year, they had eh, right around 200 homicides, a little under 1,000 non-fatal shootings. You know, it, it's a very, we're always in the top 10 as far as, like, violent cities. Mm, okay. So, there's, if you want to be a cop, that's where you go. There's nonstop action. You know, <laughs> if you don't want to be Barney Fife, you know, handing out speeding tickets to soccer moms, you know, the, you know, that's, that's what you do. And, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy, and this is like, okay, this is totally cool. I graduate, and I started college off, actually, as a music major. Huh. I was I was going to teach band. I was going to be, like, a high school band teacher. Interesting. And, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I love music. I love, love, love music. And, but the criminal justice thing really caught my fancy, I guess is the best way to say it, and, it took me about five years to graduate, a little bit over. I I worked full time when I was in college, and I got kicked out a couple times because <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, I worked full time and I partied full time and I was a dumbass. Yeah, you know? but I I I I squandered my own money. Let's just say that you know I was able to finance my own education, et cetera, et cetera. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. To I had friends that had huge college loans, but you know I could see you know they a they didn't work. And B, they were blowing their money on stupid shit, you know. And and here I am scraping and saving everything that I had. So I graduate and I start applying for police jobs because my minor was criminal justice, major was sociology, and I was like six credits shy of a music minor. So, so that meant that I got a job at Pizza Hut being an assistant manager. You know, that's what your <laughs> exactly, sociology right? degree is going to do for you. <laughs> yeah. So I worked there for six months. I moved to madison which is a really cool town when you're young that's right it's a super i got married like town right oh god yes that's what Big i've heard time. it's <laughs> and it's true it's very true there's nothing better than going to a badger game a badger football game on a on a saturday oh my god it is off the chain it is so much fun oh my gosh but you know being a young person i got married i was engaged when i was in college I met my uh, ex-wife in college. Then we got married as soon as I graduated. And I took odd jobs until I could find a job as a cop. And, you know, I worked in restaurants. I bartended. And I sold cars for four years. You know, I'd bartend in the wintertime when nobody was buying cars. You know, that, that kind of thing. So I finally make it in. And I worked for the city of Milwaukee as a police officer. Got promoted to sergeant. And I was a sergeant for 17 years. I did a variety of different things. I was like in charge of 
different just regular shifts and then i was in charge of like our gang squad i was in different task forces every now and then and i had a great career no no regrets whatsoever i i retired from that back in january 16 of 2020 so that was oh, nice. my last day on the street as far as the writing stuff goes you know i helped a lot of people buy cars you know i did it for four years so people would find out it's like oh you used to sell cars oh shit! can you come with me can you do this can you do that and you're like yeah sure no problem and somebody's like you should really write a book about that and i'm like i think i will that sounds cool <laughs> so i did and you know, it was a pdf at first you know i downloaded it onto amazon i a buddy of mine's an editor so i had him do the editing it didn't get put together the best. I mean, everybody's first book is a little, you know, hair-raising. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I did that, and then I started a little business on the side where I help people buy cars. But what I found out fairly quickly was when you're dealing with different time zones and, you know, I had a family and I was working, yeah, 40, 50 hours a week, something like somewhere around there on the regular job, get, getting a phone call at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, with somebody that doesn't want to buy a car and is scared and this, that, and the other thing, you're like, oh, God, all right, I'm done. I'm not getting paid enough to do this. Yeah. So I did that, and a buddy of mine was working on his Ph.D., another sergeant, and he was sick of writing his uh, thesis, so he wrote a post-apocalyptic book. And, <laughs> you know, it had a terrible cover, the terrible editing, and he made 10 grand the first year. He just oh, hit wow. it right. And I'm just like, holy shit. And I'm like, I can do that. So I wrote a post-apocalyptic book <laughs> and it didn't do even close to the same amount of money that he did. And then I started going through a really bad divorce and I'm like, well, I'm gonna write a book about that to help other guys. You know, it's called Divorce Dad, Kids Are Forever, Wives Are Not. So, you know, I, I really wanted to help out with that. So that's how I kind of got into it. And then when I was close to retirement, I start I wrote a book called Cops and Writers from the Academy to the Street because I started getting into the whole writing community. And once people find out you were a cop or you are a cop, they have a million questions. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, you know, if I can help out some writers, I will. So I wrote a book. But before the book, I started a Facebook group. And, you know, I dug the well before I was thirsty. You know, it's like, okay, is there interest in this? Because, you know, like the divorce book, I didn't sell a bunch. You know, the post-apoc book, you know, I, I didn't do that right. You know, the how to buy a car book, I didn't do that right. You know, and you're like, oh, come on. So before I do this again, I, I'm going to try and make sure that there's an audience for it. And there was. Uh, I started a Facebook group. It was just me, my editor. <laughs> and a couple of buddies now i've got like 4500 people in there nice that's awesome that's that's a good group yeah i and it's it's a great group because i have moderators and admins in there now that do a lot of the heavy lifting for me and make my life easy and there's a bunch of cops in there that literally from all over the world that answer these questions for people for writers well when you have a community i mean that is kind of the you know, the end, the goal, like you, you, you want, you know, Jay and I oh. talk about this all the time. You want the community to run itself, you know, eventually mm -hmm. like you have to put in a lot of work up front, but when you get to the point where you are, where you have other experts in there, I mean, obviously you got to be involved. But, oh, absolutely. I mean, but, uh, but you know, really the group can kind of run itself when you get to that point, which is really nice when it gets to that. Why? Yes. Yes, it is. It's, you know, I have to check it out and, but you know, it's like, okay, I'm on, I'm on vacation. I'm in Florida on a beach and somebody's saying or doing something stupid in my group and I have my phone. I don't have my computer. Yeah. You know, it's like I can message one of my admins and I'm like, could you nuke that please? You know? And yeah, within minutes it's gone. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that, that's, I guess the downside to having such a big community is you can, you know, there's going to be some negativity and stuff in there as well, but <sighs> You know? Yeah, there there can and there is, but you know my my hard and fast rule is no talk of politics. No, t you yeah. know what I mean, and just be nice. Don't be a dickhead. Don't be a bitch, and we'll all get along just fine. That's what we all want, isn't it? <laughs> That's all we want. It's really simple, man. It's really simple. 
Yeah. But for some reason, it's just, I don't know, people, people like to troll and people, I mean, that's a big reason why I'm not even on social media, like just because I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just got tired of a lot of that stuff, but that said, there is a lot of, you know, positive stuff going on and a lot of good communities and stuff out there. And it's, it's awesome that you're bringing value because I know that, as you said, that, you know, that's something uh, that, that writers need help with. I was actually, um, uh, talking uh i don't know i guess it would have been a couple weeks ago now uh that the episode aired but i was i asked my buddy dan padavana um who writes thrillers i was asking him i was like because we were kind of talking about thriller stuff and Mm -hmm. i was like man like how do you write that stuff not having ever been a cop i mean he was a meteorologist right for the government you know and and i listened to that one yesterday actually i was in the gym and i was listening to it yeah as we record it's the most recent episode so that's why i had to think like when is yours air i had to (laughs) so but um but yeah, like, uh, and, and we kind of talked about that and I, you know, I, cause that's been one of my big things about wanting to get into writing crime fiction or thrillers is, mm-hmm. is I'm intimidated, you know? So I guess on that, um, what are some of the biggest, uh, like mistakes you see writers make, um, when writing from the perspective of a cop or writing crime fiction? Boy, you know, I get that question asked a lot. I'm sure I almost didn't ask it because I'm sure you. That's okay. No, I'm just. I'm. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. You know. Yeah. Some of the biggest mistakes, you know, like most TV shows are unwatchable. They're so horrible. They're just so unrealistic and they're so bad. You know, I guess you know some of the most common tropes would be the lone wolf detective. You know, they Mm. really, really, really like to highlight detectives and detectives have very important roles they have very important jobs but they're a very small piece of the pie you know most of the car chases and shootings and the stuff that is dynamic and action-packed cops do not detectives yeah you know we were laughing it's like a detective it's like do you know where your gun is you know do you know you know it's like the last time they (laughs) ran was to you know the smorgasbord you know or to old country buffet or or wherever yeah not to tease them too much but you know they're investigators yeah they come after the fact unless they are involved in like a vice operation or a um like an armed robbery task force where they're tracking like serial robbers, that kind of thing, you know, bank robbers, etc. You know, if I've been to ugh, hundreds of homicides, hundreds and hundreds, and the earliest you're going to see a detective at a homicide is probably half an hour after yeah. the fact, after you get there, everything is buttoned up. You know, I was a sergeant for 17 years, and my job was to make sure the scene was airtight. So when they came, you know, they had a nice, clean safe environment to do their job which is to investigate the crime you know so that's one of the biggest things i see that's you know and usually it's a solo detective that's breaking all the rules you know and you know going against the system and whatever and i'm looking and i'm like he'd be fired you know and probably <laughs> criminally prosecuted you know it, it's it, life is not like that. You know, the interrogation scenes in some of these movies or TV shows are laughable, but writers have, um, I was just talking about this with my buddy Adam Richardson. We had the random show of my podcast uh, last week, and we both agreed. It's like writers have a moral obligation almost because even though you say this is fiction, people still believe that that really happens. Yeah, You know, it's like what people don't understand is if you have an interrogation of a prisoner, those are recorded, video and audio. So first of all, you know, you see the detective walking in with a gun in their holster. Never. You never bring a weapon into an interrogation room, ever. You just don't do it. Yeah. And then you see them, they're slapping them around. I'm like, no, you start hitting a suspect that's handcuffed, you're going to prison. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to jail. You know, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your pension. You're done. You're donezos. You know, and then, like, shoving a gun in, like, the bad guy's mouth to try and get him to talk. And then I remember, I think it was Chicago PD. I was watching it with my wife. And this female detective had her gun in this guy's mouth. And like, talk, talk. And I'm like, he can't talk. He's got a gun in his mouth. (laughs) What are you you thinking? (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm like, yeah, don't write stuff like that. That's bad. That's dumb. Um, what else? Then some of the more glaring errors too is again, you have the solo detective that's just on their own. That never happens. I mean, yeah, detectives were cases by themselves, but they all have bosses and there's other detectives there too. You know, they're not just out on an island and you're just like, well, I don't care what the boss says. Well, you kind of do. You kind of have to. We all yeah. have some kind of boss. You know, and it's like Bosch is probably one of the bit most popular series. And it's fairly true to life, you know. But, you know, like I'm looking at the the first episode and he was involved in a police shooting. He was chasing somebody down an alley and shoots and kills them. And I'm like, first off, not so many detectives are chasing but he said those are cops not detectives for the most part and i'm looking at this and you know when something like that happens you're chained to the desk there's two distinct investigations that occur one is the criminal and that'll go first you know a human being killing another human being is a homicide now the district attorney is going to have to determine if this was justifiable or not and you know obviously those investigations can go six months, a year. I mean, I've been involved in six different ones. And that's not something that just, you know, you see on TV where there's a shooting, a cop shoots and kills somebody, and the next day they're out on the street eating donuts and high-fiving each other. It doesn't happen that way at all. So the first investigation is going to be a criminal investigation. And if they're cleared in the criminal, there's an internal investigation with the Internal Affairs Department that would go through did you go through all the proper rules and procedures sops etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's not an easy street to you know stroll down like they show on tv and like i'll circle back to bosh you know he he wants to be on the street taking assignments and he's bribing other detectives with like laker tickets hey let me take that you know homicide and it's like oh okay <laughs> yeah it's like sounds good and it's like well the boss will find out ah that's okay no it's not okay you know he would he might get fired. So those are like some of the big ones that jump out at me. So, so there's a lot there to digest. And I'm, I'm you know, because it, it's like, where would you, let me ask this first. So you mentioned sure. Bosch. Like, mm -hmm. what are some, like, do you have any other really good examples of books or movies or TV shows where it's done kind of sort of accurate? Southland was really good. Um, Obviously, you know, it's TV, so they have to keep it moving. Yeah. It's like you'd have a cool car chase. You you get the bad guy that's wanted for murder. Well, in reality, it's usually like a five-minute chase. If it's ten minutes, that's a long one. Yeah. And you're going to be inside writing reports <laughs> for the next, like, eight hours. Yeah, obviously you can't have that on TV, so they kind of, you know, they glance over that. And, but, you know... In Southland, there'd be all this stuff that would happen in one episode. And in reality, maybe one thing would happen instead yeah. of 10 things would happen. You know, that kind of thing. And then, like, some of the old ones, like Barney Miller, of all things. What I loved about Barney Miller, and I guess I'm showing my age, is it showed him as humans. You know, all the quirkiness and all the funny, you know, like, you know, Fish, the old guy. You know, always complaining about like his feet or whatever. And then uh, there was Yamada. The he was he had a bookie. He was always like <laughs> betting on the horses. Yeah, you know, while he was at work. You know, and then the inspector would come in, and the rat from IED would come in. You know, and just all the little dramas that were going inside of all these people's lives. And and that's true. You know that that's reality. Yeah. So I I guess. And you've kind of said a couple times, like with certain things, you know, they can't show that because it would be boring. Like, so, you know, what, like, obviously we're talking about fiction and there's, you know, mm -hmm. there is, you know, in, in your position, I can totally see how you're, it's hard. It's probably hard for you to watch a lot of that stuff. Like you're, just cause you know how it really Oh, is. it's terrible. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, but, but I think at the same time, you know, there is like a certain like suspension of disbelief you have sure. to give, obviously. And I, I know you know that. You got to keep that story going. Yep. You do. Yeah. And I think too, it's like knowing your audience. So like, you know, I look at my genre, I write post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, my, my characters are very purposely like normal people in extraordinary situations. I don't write 
the military people or like the extreme preppers, because that's mm-hmm. not the reader I want. Like, I don't, okay. you know, I don't want the reader that is, is gonna, you know, criticize me because I didn't start a fire correctly or didn't, you know, like, you know, cook my can of beans correctly out in the <laughs> open or Cause that's not stuff that I know about, you know? Right. Right. Um, and, and, and so like, I'll get stuff on my book sometimes where, you know, people say, oh, you know, I'll get one starred because, you know, they'll, they'll bring up, oh, well, you know, uh, re- refined gasoline doesn't last past six months. And this it's a mm. year after the apocalypse and this character's driving in a truck. And I'm like, dude, there's zombies. Like <laughs> you got to suspend your disbelief <laughs> at some point, you know? So um, I, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, so if, if someone is looking at writing crime fiction or whatever, I mean, like what advice would you give them as far as um, like what liberties are okay to take or, you know, cause, cause like you're saying, I mean, if, if, you know, in some of this stuff, people obviously want to write detectives and mm-hmm. if, you know, like obviously you're going to have, you're going to have chase scenes and stuff, but that's not going to be realistic or, you know, from, from your point of view, but like, would it be better for that person to write, you know, a cop main character instead of a detective, but then what do they do about the investigating? You see what I'm saying? Like, I guess I'm just asking like, where were some places yeah, you I, would say to take liberties? I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Now I had police officers that I was in charge of that were on special cars. They more or less did detective work, but they weren't detectives. Okay. And, and they would get into stuff like that. So you could have police officers that do cool investigation stuff. The bulk of cops are we just call them slaves to the radio? You know, you're taking one assignment after another, especially yeah. if you're in a busy city. You know, it just never stops. You know, yeah. when as soon as you call yourself available, dispatcher's got another one waiting for you. Or you're on an assignment, they're like, you're gonna have to go. You know, we just got the shooting, we just got the stabbing, we just got the you know whatever, and you're in the middle of a theft investigation. Sorry, your theft doesn't mean a whole lot to us right now. I got a dead body I have to take care of. You know that kind of thing. So, and then detectives, if you're going to, it's really popular, like the detective thing. It's really popular, again, like I said, to have them like chasing stuff and running after bad guys and all that. So if you had them in like a special unit, you know, like Vice, you know, they're doing prostitution stings, you know, they're doing undercover stuff, they're buying drugs, and that stuff can go sideways in a blink of an eye. So that's pretty high speed. You know, you could have like an imaginary task force. You know, that kind of thing. So there are ways around it. And, you know, talking, you were just talking about like the post-apoc stuff. If you don't know a lot about it, don't pretend that you do. Yeah. Because it's going to come out. You know, it's like, don't talk about taking the safety off your Glock. They don't have an exterior safety. I've I've gotten I've gotten bad reviews for that. Before. I, I learned that. Lesson. You're not the only one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Glock does it, not have a safety. Yeah, yeah. They don't have an exterior safety. They have interior safeties, but they yeah. don't have an exterior safety that you click off like on some weapons. And most um, pistols that are used in police work don't have exterior safeties. It's one less step. And another thing that just drives me nuts and anybody else that knows anything about guns is you see people running after, you know, you, you have like a chase scene or somebody's, a cop is drawn down on somebody and their finger's on the trigger. Never, never, yeah. never. The finger is never on the trigger unless it's time to start popping rounds. So yeah. the finger is always off and outside the trigger housing there. The little stuff like that, people that are in the know, they're going to pick up on it immediately. You know, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you don't know a lot about it, kind of glance over it. Yeah, I drew my gun. Okay. You don't have to say I drew my Glock model 2240 caliber semi-automatic pistol at the low ready. And you know, no, you don't have to do all that. Yeah. You're opening yourself up for, yes. to make mistakes. If yeah. you know all that stuff and you're a hundred percent on it, knock yourself silly. Why not? But a know your, um, audience maybe they get bored with that and b you know don't do it half-assed you know like i said before if you if you're 100 percent sure yeah why not but if you're kind of sort of yeah maybe then yeah I, the detective drew his gun yeah okay good enough that's fair 
Yeah. And I think you, and you just said it and you kind of reiterate what I was saying too. I think knowing your audience is a big, is a big part of that, you know? Absolutely. Um, like I I've had to tell authors in the, you know, when, uh, in the past when, you know, getting asked questions or coaching or whatever, you know, they'll bring up, Oh, I don't, I, I have this main character who's a doctor, but like, I, I don't want to mess this up. And I'm like, well, maybe your main character shouldn't be a doctor <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah. if, 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 if you don't know, because you're going to run into all kinds of issues you know, which, which again, is part of the reason I've stayed away. And, and I have a, I have an okay knowledge of guns. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I live in the South, so I know sure. plenty of people that have guns right. and, you know, um, and have, uh, you know, gone out and shot and stuff like that, which I think is, a, is not a bad thing to do. If you're really unsure, oh, like go, learn I was going to, I was going to talk about, yeah, I was going to talk about that because if you're an author and you're going to write scenes where you're shooting guns, Man, I, I highly, <laughs> highly suggest shoot a gun, you know, and if you want to get specific with a model and caliber and all that, a lot of these ranges will rent guns to you. You don't yeah. have to buy them. They can rent them to you. Yeah. You know, be obviously be safe about it. You know, safety is number one when it comes to any kind of firearm. But if you do it in a nice, safe environment, and most of them are more than willing to help you because... They want to dispel like any weird misnomers or myths about guns and they you know they want to make you feel as comfortable as possible if they're a reputable you know like range yeah absolutely so, i mean yeah 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 i was gonna say i mean when you go to a range like if you go to a reputable one you know the like you're saying those people are gonna have an appreciation for what the weapons can do yes. and they're going to want to help you if they can you know um, so, yes. so yeah, for sure. I, I think that that, I think that that's a, that's a great, great piece of advice. So, um, yeah, my, uh, I took my wife, I took my wife, I'll just a real quick story. Yeah, I took my ahead. wife yeah, out no, shooting no or dating, you know, I'm a cop. So I, I took her, I took her out shooting and, uh, she was a really good shot. So we kept like the silhouette target and I put it on the back of the, um, door and, you know, she had a teenage daughter and I'm like, see this? Mom's a good shot. You might want to tell the boyfriend about this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't just dad you got to worry about. Mom, you got to worry about. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you, you know, we talked a little bit about your community and we, you know, we talked a little bit about the book, which the book is, there's two books in the Cops and Writers yes. series. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. what what's the second one? The second one, the subtitle again? It, it's still Cops and Writers. The first one is from the Academy of the Street. The second one is Crime Scenes and Investigations. Okay, cool. Do you have any plans for any other books in that series? You know, I I have the itch now to write fiction again. Okay. And I kind of have a cool idea. I kind of have a cool idea. It's going to be in the thriller genre. And... I'm going to give that a go first Nice. before I write another one. Yeah. I was going to ask you about fiction. Cause I know you said mm -hmm. you wrote the one post apoc book. And I mean, it seems like with all your, you know, experience and your knowledge, I mean, like writing thrillers probably would, I mean, obviously you have to want to, you know, right. Right. But, but that seems like it would make sense. Yeah. You know, it, and I think people will like the twist. I don't want to give it a, the premise away right now. Cause oh, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure on it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think people like it. Okay, cool. So, um, so we talked about the books and the community, like, tell me a little bit about the cops and writers podcast. Yeah. You know what? It's been a blast. I, when I was in college, my brother was a DJ at the university, um, radio station. We had our own radio station and, and he'd call me every now and then he's like, dude, I'm going out partying. He said, could you take it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And the professor that was running, it didn't even know I'd be doing it. I was never in any class. You know, whatever. So he's like, yeah, just give me an hour. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I got comfortable behind the mic doing that. And he also worked for like a mobile DJ company where he'd go to bars. And, you know, you brought all of your um, all of your albums in the turntable and, you know, the speakers and all that kind of good stuff. And I would help him with that. And when I was trying to get my cops and writers stuff off the ground i tried to be a guest on as many podcasts as possible just to put myself out there and i was thinking to myself i could do this 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 is fun i enjoy this so 
I started it up. I my first interview was with my buddy Adam Richardson, who has a podcast, and that seemed pretty cool. Actually, Jay helped me with the music. I oh. um, I wanted intro music and outro music, and I was like, you know, I actually I asked, I said, could your son do the guitar riff for me? You know, his, <laughs> his son's a guitar player. Yeah. And he said, well, he's kind of busy, but he pointed me in the right direction of some. Uh, places where you just pay a small royalty and you can use that music and it's like so that's the music you hear at the beginning and the end of my podcast and i've i also had people on that have podcasts jerry williams is a retired fbi agent and she has her own podcast where she goes through a case file with a retired fbi agent she does that every week and i had her on as a guest and then I just started, it just started snowballing. People were asking me. You know, I had Gary Nessner. He was the FBI negotiator at the Waco stand. Wake, I was you know, he's talking you, to wow, David. yeah. I, I'm very familiar with that. So Yeah, he was talking to David Koresh for days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I'll show my age a little bit. I was a kid, but like mm -hmm. I was, I was actually living in Rouseside, Dallas when that happened. So <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. I, I okay. just remember coming home from school every day and seeing Waco on the, my, oh yeah, he's on the TV. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was fascinating interviewing him. And then some of the better ones that I've had, I mean, then I've, I've interviewed a couple of um, writers that were police officers in England. Then I have a couple of Mounties from uh, Canada, some Royal Canadian Mounties. And then I had uh, an Irish Garda. Uh, she's she's a hoot, Marie O'Hall. That was my uh, St. Patrick's Day podcast, I called nice. it. <laughs> so I interviewed a cop from Ireland, in Ireland. So that was a lot of fun. That was a blast. Um, and then lately I had Jack Barsky. He is a um american that grew up in east germany during the cold war and the kgb recruited him and he was oh, wow. inserted into the united states under all false documents and now he's a u.s citizen so that was a two-parter if you ever watch the americans that's on prime video mm -hmm. he was their technical advisor huh so i you know, and I've reached out to other people that just flat out say no to me, but I just keep on trying and I wind up with like Jack Barsky's and some other like really cool people. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what happens. That's how, that's part of how we get the guests we get on writers Inc. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, cause you, you know, every, we had a lot of people tell us no, but every now and then you get like a Matthew McConaughey to say yes. So Yeah. You know what? I listened to that. That was awesome. I bought the book because of um, that interview. I bought yeah, his book. The uh, screenshot yeah. is I, I have a screenshot of because we don't do the video, but Jay sent me a screenshot of Zoom when he interviewed him, and it's it's really funny just seeing Jay next <laughs> to Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> but that is yeah, funny. that's but that's I think that 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 too is a great lesson for writers. Like the worst thing anybody can do is say no. Well, look, you know, at the top of the show, we we're talking about honore. Yeah. You know, I, I tried a bunch of different authors and it's like, Hey, you know, give me a hand here. And every, if most of the time they would never email me back yeah. and it's like, okay, no big deal. You know, I don't know. Do you know Boyd Craven? I know the name. Yeah. He's a, but I, but I he's a big know. post apoc He's yeah. Yeah. He's a big post apoc uh, writer. Mm -hmm. And I just, out of the blue, I said, Hey, you know, where'd you get your covers? You know, I was looking for a cover artist him and wait use her and you know blah 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 and i'm like okay cool thanks and now we're friends yeah it's 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 awesome that's i mean that's the type of stuff that i've made you know a lot of my friends and and writer friends and stuff and mm -hmm. you know a lot of times it's just reaching out as a fan and being like hey i read your stuff yeah, and absolutely yeah so and a lot of times they'll be like oh i seen you on Amazon, you know, and you don't right. have to bring up that you're a writer, but mm -hmm. you know, but again, like you, like we were saying, I mean, the, the best, the worst thing that people can do is say no, or just not even reply. Absolutely. It's yeah. like, or keep trying. I mean, until the restraining order comes, you know, you don't want that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, yeah, well, the podcast is great. I mean, it's, it's, that's a great resource, you know, between that, the books and, and the, and the community. I mean, 
uh, like we were talking about, that's something that, that writers definitely need help with is whether it's interrogations or, you know, what being a cop is really like, or even just the gun stuff, like we were talking about, you know, that that's very commonly messed up. So those are some great resources. So Mm -hmm. let's shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk before we get out of here, I definitely want to talk a little bit about uh, your dad life. And, okay, cool. And and I know a few times you brought up um, your your other book you'd written, um, which is Divorced Dad, uh, Kids Are Forever, Wives Are Not by yeah. L.J. Burke, which is your, <laughs> yes. your pen name. And yes, I, yes. I, the first thing I want to ask you is, and I have a suspicion as to why, but like what made you choose a pen name for that book? I was going through my divorce and I thought, thought what to I myself, <laughs> hell, hell no. And I even asked my attorney, I'm like, uh am I going to get in Dutch with this? You know, should I even write it? And he says, you're using a pen name. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what are you putting in there? Are you saying, you know, she's this mean, horrible person. And are you defaming her? Are you like, you know, saying a lot of negative stuff? And I'm like, no, I'm just telling the truth. And he's like, oh, okay. It's not filled with venom. You know, it's like, it's not the he-man haters, woman haters club. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, when you look at it from perspective, like who would want to read that? I mean, I'm, I mean, I guess there are people out there who would want to read that, but uh, uh, you know, as like coming to that as a customer, I mean, people are looking for usable advice and they, mm-hmm. are, you know, I mean, obviously some people could relate to that, but it's, you know, with nonfiction, especially that type of nonfiction, you're really trying to like help people and solve a problem. And I, so it right. doesn't seem like that would but, but I could also definitely see why you would want to do a pen name under, yeah. under, under that. Yep. Do you, you know, keep it, it? I mean, do you like, are you openly at this point? Like, is it pretty open that that's you? Or, I mean, obviously we're talking about it here. Yeah. But... You know, I don't advertise it per se, but I mean, it, it wouldn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out that, you know, or Columbo to figure out it's me. You know, yeah. It's, it, it, it's pretty simple and yeah, people can figure out it's me so what made you um like what made you feel like you really needed to write that book i mean uh, i mean i I think we kind of talked about it and i mean was do you feel like it was more because you were in it or i mean like i don't know like what was kind of the reason for that you'd say i i think it was a couple of prong effect you know i'm going through this horrible divorce you know all i wanted was 50 50 placement and custody of the kids i had an 11 year old and a 15 year old boy at the time and our marriage was dissolving before my very eyes for years it was inevitable you know and but it could have been okay because there wasn't like another woman or another man you know there wasn't like this huge blow up you know there wasn't like a nuclear event that caused all this it was like a slow burn and it sucked but I always like to look for books that are pertinent to what I'm going through right now, you know, like self-help or whatever. I, I love to work out. So it's like, okay, you know, I bought books or listened to podcasts about working out, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm looking and there wasn't a whole lot out there for men that are going through a divorce at all. It was mostly from the female point of view. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to write a book about it. And by doing it, it did a couple of things. One, it documented the entire thing. And two, it was almost like therapy. Yeah, for I myself. Totally see that. You know, you're going through a tough time, no matter how amicable or non-amicable it is, it's still tough. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not easy by any stretch. And, you know, all I wanted, you know, I had a fabulous divorce attorney. My advice to you guys, if you're going to be going through something like this, if you have any friends that have been through some horrible divorces and they turned out okay or as okay as they could be, that's the divorce attorney I want, you know, that handled it really well. Do your homework. And that's what I did. And I sit down and we clicked right away. My attorney and I just clicked immediately. And he says, you know what? I've got money. He said that Mercedes that's out in the front parking lot. He says, that's mine. And I'm like, yeah, that's about a dollars $140,000 car. He says, yeah. He says, I go to Europe every year with my family. You know, there's pictures of his family all over the place. And I could tell he was a family guy. And 
so I felt comfortable with him. You know, he went, he just, like, I just felt comfortable with him. We yeah. just clicked, you know? And right away, he's like, I got enough money. He said, grab a steno pad, go to Starbucks with your soon-to-be ex, and hammer this out. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out bullshit. He said, don't agree to everything. He says, I want to see what you guys, you know, come up with. But he said, I have enough money. You know, you don't have to break the bank. You know, I, I've, I've got more than enough clients. You know, and I'm just like, wow, this attorney is telling me this? That's crazy. That's you know? a good and, attorney. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I sit down with the ex. We meet at a diner. You know, by now we're not living together. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is what my guy, you know, suggests, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I want 100% placement in custody of the kids. And I'm like, well, you're not going to get it. I'm not an axe murderer. I'm not a drug addict. Yeah. I'm not an alcoholic who's passed out on the floor every night. You know, that's okay. If I was one of those things, sure. I could see where that She'd would be problematic. She'd have some leverage. Yeah. yeah. So it, she just dug in her heels and she got a really bad attorney at first. I did my homework and I looked at public records. I didn't have to use my police resources. And this guy had been arrested for drunk driving. This guy his tax liens he doesn't pay his taxes this guy can't pay his target credit card you know he's got charge-offs and i'm looking at all this different stuff and i'm like is that who you want representing you and you know and i sat down with my soon-to-be ex and i said hey it's very important we have good attorneys because a good attorney is going to be realistic this guy was filling her head with all this garbage how she's just going to walk away a millionaire you know, and I'm, I will have absolutely nothing and she'll have the kids and I'll never see them again. Well, first off, that's not healthy for your children unless, you know, you're abusive or there's, there's something very wrong. But if this is just two people who shouldn't be married or, you know, you should be equally, you know, involved in your child and your children. So, yeah, she just, she was... She, she believed what she wanted to believe, and this guy was more than happy to charge her for it. You know, he was very unscrupulous. So after a year of battling, she wound up firing him. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I did that. I told you so. But then she, <laughs> she hired, it was an all-female law office, and the, the gal that was her attorney was this Russian pianist that was also an attorney, and I'm, I just looked at her suit and her shoes and how she was put together. And like, this is money. And then I found out later what they were charging her. And I'm like, oh my God, it was crazy. The amount of money that her parents spent on this was insane. And at the very end, the stuff that was on that steno pad is what was settled. <laughs> After two years and all this BS, and I'm like, we could have done this. For, oh man, it was hard on the kids. It was hard. It was horrible on me. You know, I was at first I was paying, oh, what, like $1,700 $1, a month in child support. I was living in my buddy's basement. I didn't have enough money to pay my phone bill. And I mean, we had to get a guardian to light them. And in Wisconsin, what that is, it's another attorney usually. And they're kind of a mediator between both sides. And the first time I met this guardian litem, she kind of had a very stern look on her face. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. And as I'm walking into her office, her closet door was open and she had all these files in, you know what, like a, a box of just like plain Xerox paper. Yeah. You know, they go in those boxes. Mm -hmm. In law offices, they keep files in there. That's, yeah. that's, that's like the old school way of keeping your files. And I, I glanced at some of the names and I'm like, oh shit. So you know, there were like two or three cops that I knew that were the biggest assholes on planet earth. And I'm like, so she's going to think the same thing of me. And after everything was all done and over with my attorney's like, yeah, she thought you were an asshole because every other one that she had come in was an asshole. And I'm like, oh, so, but my advice to you guys, if you're going through it, be honest, don't exaggerate and document everything. I always had a steno pad with me, and if I didn't, I was I would do uh, recordings into my phone. 
every little thing, every whatever, because it's going to come up and it's so nice just to have that documentation. I remember one time the guardian lion calls me and she says, yeah, your ex just called me. And she said that you're calling her like 60, 70 times a day. I'm like, what? I don't want to talk to her. I only, I'm only talking to her when I have to talk to her. And she said, well, you know, that's what she's saying. I said, we'll tell you what, I'll print out my well, phone records, yeah. my phone bills to you and I'll highlight her phone number for you. Okay. That's cool. So she kept on catching her in one lie after another, after another, after another. And then it got to the point where she's like, F her. Yeah, this is coming from the this female attorney that's a guardian litem. She said, F her. She said, you can get 100% of the placement and custody of the kids. She says, I'm sick of her. I'm so sick of this BS. And I'm like, no, that ain't cool. Because, you know, I mean, maybe she's being stupid about this, but she was still a good mom. Yeah. And their kids need their mom. So I'm not going to be that guy. So that's that's how it all ended. Well, I got to definitely commend you for, I mean, just, you know, one thing that really stuck out was you telling her to get a good attorney, you know, and, and you, cause it sounds like you could have really tried to take advantage of her. And you, that's, again, you come back to your kids, you know, you recognize yep. that she's a good mom and like, just cause you guys were not like a fit anymore and, and hadn't been for a while. Didn't mean that, you know, these, an innocent party should be punished for that, you know? And, uh, yeah, God, it took, that's, it's just crazy. After all that, it was exactly what you were saying. You should have oh, and I still had that. I still have that steno pad with the, with the stuff that I wrote down. And I'm like, this isn't rocket science. Like I said, unless somebody's being a danger to, you know, the kids or yeah. whatever, though, that, that's all no brainer stuff, you know, but yeah, that's, and the older the kids are, the more say they have in it, but they weren't really old enough. But when you have like late teenagers, et cetera, yeah. sometimes the courts will take that into account as well, where they want to be, et cetera. And yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a tough road, but you know, you got to take into consideration what's best for your children first, and you have to take care of yourself. I, I know I had that in the book too. You know, like in an airplane, when they talk about the oxygen mass dropping and all that, you put it on yourself first before you put it on your kid. Because if you turn into just a ball of goo over all of this, you're not going to be good for your kids. And you got to be on your A game when you're going through something like this. If you're going through a tough divorce, you got to you got to be sharp, man. You got to have all your shit together. You, you know, and this is also I tell my friends that have gone through this. This is a time for you to be a monk. Don't do stupid shit. Don't go out and get like a drunk driving ticket. Don't, I mean, yeah, if you need a pity party or something like that, fine. Maybe have some buddies around that will take care of you, that you trust. You know, but again, and crawling inside of a bottle of whiskey is not going to solve your problems. Yeah. It's just going to make them worse. And, you know, just ride it out. You'll be okay. And at the end of the day, when your kids grow up, they they figure all this out. They're like, yeah, mom was nuts. She shouldn't have acted that way. Or dad was stupid. You know, whatever. So history will judge you. So just remember that. Well, that's man. That actually, that's great advice. And I think uh, I think that's actually a really good place for us just to end this thing. To be honest, okay. With you. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that was that was awesome. So, um, well, man, I know you're in a good place now. I mean, I know you mentioned absolutely in the, uh, in, in your email, you know, you've got a, a really blended family now and stuff and, and remarried and all that. So yeah, there's so light at the end of the tunnel. It's, in the end. It, it does. And you know what, there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you're a man or a woman going through this right now, and you're listening to this, you might, it might, you might be in the depths of despair right now. But like I said, you know, I was living in my buddy's basement. I didn't have enough money to pay my phone bill. I was yeah. sucking air. It was horrible. You know, I, I thought that I was going to lose my kids. You know, I didn't know for sure. Yeah. So, but you know what? Just stay the course. Don't do anything stupid and just be smart about it. Right on. Well, that's good advice for anyone out there who is, and I'm sure there's some listeners who are going through that. So, but, uh, well, listen, Patrick, uh, where's the best place for our, the audience to, uh, find you on the internet? What do you, whatever you want to promote now's the time. <laughs> okay. Well, Everything is Cops and Writers. So I've got the Cops and Writers podcast. 
I put that out every week. That's uh, on you know Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all the the big platforms. It's out on there. The Cops and Writers Facebook group, love to have you. Uh, that's just look under Cops and Writers. Uh, the books are I'm Amazon exclusive right now. I might change that later. To, uh, I'm just on Amazon. It's just Cops and Writers. If you put that at the search bar, you'll find me. Uh, I have a website, copsandwriters.com, and I also offer consulting uh, to um, authors where you give me your manuscript and I'll tell you what's right and what's wrong about it. I'm kind of straying away from that <laughs> because I'm kind of overwhelmed with work right now. Yeah. I'm supposed to be retired, but I'm working harder now, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Awesome. Well, that all sounds good. We'll have all that down in the show notes for everyone to check out. Sweet. And uh, more than that, man, Patrick, thank you for coming on, having a very uh, open and honest conversation. Uh, I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. I am a big fan of the show and I, I, I look forward to other episodes. And we'll do Cops and Riders soon. Outstanding. Very good. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community where fellow Creator Dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creator dad.